I had someone once like five years ago say, is meditation kind of like going to the gym? Like I've heard you don't feel anything the first time or like you don't feel different after doing it once. That's correct. You know, you have to put in time, like you said, and build a habit to really be able to reap the results. People don't think it's as rewarding. If I go to the gym for a month, maybe I look stronger. And if you go to the mental gym, if you, you know, sit on a cushion or if you journal, you don't necessarily have this outward showcase of how strong you are, how fit you are, something to show off. I feel like it's a hidden superpower that you're this strong and nobody knows. My name is Francesca Phillips, and you're listening to The Good Space Podcast, a show where we help you find peace and power in work, relationships, and intuition. Welcome to another episode on The Good Space Podcast. Today, we're talking to Liv Bowser. She's the CEO and founder of Liberate and a certified meditation and mindfulness teacher and yoga teacher. Liv has been featured in renowned publications such as Forbes, Business Insider, The Cut, and Real Simple as a mental fitness expert and has led Liberate Method classes for Shape and Health Magazines, Fairmont Hotels, Uber, LinkedIn, and many more. She is someone that I met in a networking group that we're both a part of, and when we each heard each other's businesses and what we're doing in the mindfulness and wellness space, we knew we had to connect, and so I'm really excited to have her on the show today. Thanks so much, Liv. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. I know we've had conversation before and, you know, obviously you've told me about Liberate and what you're trying to do. And I want to get into that more, but I was curious. So I read in another interview that you grew up in rural, rural, (laughs) I can't say it. It's hard. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it reminds me of 30 Rock. Well, Tina Fey's character, Liz Lemon, uh, Jenna Maroney, one of the actors on her show, she's in a movie called The Rural Juror. Horrible. Yeah. She's like, I can't figure out what the name of this movie is. And then she finally figures out, oh, The Rural Juror. So anyways, tangent, (laughs) but that totally just reminded me of it. So you grew up in upstate New York and spent most of your time outdoors. It sounded idyllic, what you explained. And you even said that you're still the friend that knows zero famous movie references, but can climb a tree in a matter of seconds. Did that ever bother you growing up that you didn't know cultural references as you got older or yeah, I'm just curious how that felt and then how you went from that kind of life to wanting the job that you eventually got at a high growth startup. Yeah, great question. I feel like with those types of differences, especially in your youth, you either use them as like a prize or you use them as, you know, your Achilles heel. And for me, I I didn't even really realize that I was out of the loop on anything until I went to college. And then people were like talking about actors or talking about things. And I had no clue what was going on. And I think that I just used that as one of my unique traits. Like, oh, I'm so, you know, I'm so uh, grounded or I'm so unique because I didn't spend time watching TV and I, I climbed trees or I read books or whatever it was. And, you know, not that there's good and bad to either side, but I just chose to see it as something that was kind of funny or silly. And, and sometimes I wouldn't, I wouldn't say anything. Like if everybody else knew what was going on or what movie people were referencing, I would just nod and be like, Oh yes, I love that movie. And just kind of hope that nobody asked me any specific questions. So I kind of chose when to be proud of it and when to, to hide it a little bit, which I think, you know, we do with a lot of different things. Um, but I loved 
climbing trees and I literally would climb this huge tree in my front yard and I would go up there with a notebook and I would sit on a branch and I would write stories for hours. And my dad always says, you know, luckily I was the youngest. So by how by the time they had three kids, they decided to to give me a little bit of a longer leash and just kind of let me do whatever I wanted. But the whole time I was up there, he was so nervous that I was just going to, you know, fall 30 feet. But I just felt really free and loved being creative up there. And so now when I think about that experience, I think that was like journaling, basically. You know, I was eight years old and journaling, which is now a huge part of my story. But I really kind of landed in the work that I ended up doing purely by chance and by passion. I had moved out to LA the day after I graduated college and I was just supposed to spend the summer out there. I had a job lined up in Manhattan in New York that started in October. So I was living with a friend and just having fun going to the beach. The more time I spent out in LA, the more I realized I really liked the people. I liked the energy. I had done a couple internships in New York and thought, it kind of made me meaner. Like I, I had a resting, you know, face because I, I didn't want anybody to bother me, and I just felt more on edge. And then in LA, I was so friendly and so open, and just felt more relaxed by the energy there. And so I kind of wanted to stay. And I did some different interviews with companies, you know, cold applying on LinkedIn, and one company. We had a few interviews together and I was really passionate about the space. It was this better for you baking mix. And I loved the fact that they were kind of reinventing a category that had been notoriously not so great for you ingredients and just thought it was a really creative, fun, young team. And so I was drawn to that aspect of it and the aspect of being able to make an impact, which is something that's really fun at a startup. You know, if you join like a huge corporate company, especially when you're 22, they're not going to give you any real responsibilities. You know, you're like pushing paper all day. And so I loved that I was the first employee. So they needed me to do anything and everything. And it was really energizing and I learned a ton. And so I just kind of fell into it. I don't know that I ever had a real plan of like, I'm going to work for a startup or I'm going to work for, you know, a venture back startup. I don't even think I knew what that was at 22. It just kind of was the path I was intended to go on. That's so neat. And I used to write in a tree in my backyard. I literally have never met anyone else that has done the same thing. I would write songs though, instead of stories. That is so cool. So yeah, to hear that you say that, I was like, oh my gosh, me too. My tree wasn't nearly as big, but it was high enough to where if I did fall, I would for sure get hurt. But I had those like little Harriet the Spy journals where it's like the black and white. I don't know what it's called, but it's like the composition notebooks. Yes. Yes. So that's amazing. And then also I'm in New York City and I've worked at a few beauty brands and like major agencies. And I know exactly what you mean as far as people are much meaner here. And so I don't blame you one bit for wanting to stick around LA. And that sounds great that you were just open. You were open to, okay, I'm here. I feel great. This is awesome. I want to stay. You applied to jobs. You, It felt very flowy. I don't know if you felt that way in the moment, but... I think that's really powerful, especially at 22, your formative years. I'm sure you learned so much. But then I also know from some of the research, other interviews that you've done is you also struggled with anxiety. Is that right? It's funny that you say it sounds flowy now. And I think everything I say sounds flowy now because I'm just I'm a mindful you know, instructor and all that. 
but in the moment it was hard. I was so confused. I didn't know how much money I should be making. I didn't know if I should be in New York or be in LA. I didn't know what I was doing at the job. You know, I felt like totally lost and confused all the time. And that led to anxiety for sure, because life transitions are really hard and we're going through life transitions all the time. You know, whether you're graduating from college or you're having a baby or you're getting married or you're getting divorced or your kids leaving home, like in your empty nesting, there's just constant transitions. You're losing a parent, you name it. And I don't think any of us are ever really taught how to deal with that. I definitely wasn't. And so with all of that change often comes discomfort and for me, often comes stress and anxiety and panic attacks. And so I was living in a new city. I didn't know a ton of people. I had a job for the, you know, a full-time job for the first time. Tons of projects that I had no clue how to do and responsibilities I was just supposed to figure out. And that all started to get really, really overwhelming. You know, I probably started working pretty normal hours and then you know, every month they extended by an hour until the point where I was working. Probably from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m., working on the weekends, there were no boundaries. And in my head, I think, you know, I don't have anything else to do because <laughs> I don't have any friends in this city and I don't really have any money. So I may as well just throw myself into work. You know, that's that's what you're supposed to do, right? But because I didn't have any real boundaries and I also wasn't really taking any time for myself. I didn't have much of a sense of self. So that just started to create a lot of uncomfortable feelings and anxiety was one of them. I would get like panic attacks whenever I had coffee because coffee can trigger stress hormone release. And so you actually end up like it often makes you feel anxious. So I don't actually drink it at all anymore. I haven't for like four years because it would send me into panic attacks and I just didn't have tools like breathing or meditation or going for a walk around the block to be able to calm myself down. So it got pretty out of control and I kind of felt like it just totally ran me for a couple of years until it got so bad I had to do something about it. With that whole environment and the anxiety that you're feeling and the stress, and I'm sure anyone listening can relate to that or have experienced it as well. And if you don't know what a panic attack is, it really, you truly feel like you're about to die. Like your body just gets into this like literal panic mode where you feel like, yeah, you're going to die. I don't know how else to explain it because I've had them before too in my young 20s as well. And so I hear a lot of these things as well that you're talking about where there were no boundaries, you didn't have tools, you didn't have like other things to kind of manage that situation more. So if you were to go back to that time period or you were to talk to that version of yourself, what like four things, three things do you wish that you knew that then that you do now that you feel like might have helped or maybe would have changed the situation a little bit? Mm -hmm. For panic attacks specifically, I have so many tools because I've had too many. Um, one is breathe, take deep breaths. You can, there's a million different breathing techniques. You can look them up, you know, specifically for breathing for, or for panic attacks. For me, it was inhaling through my nose, exhaling, like I am breathing out through a straw that helped me a lot. Um, you can, but there's, there's so many different breathing techniques you can do. And then also remembering that it's temporary. That's what I tell myself now, whenever I get a little bit of anxiety, 
for some reason to me, it always felt like this is how I am now. Like I'm going to feel like this forever. This is going to, it's going to ruin my day. It's going to ruin my night. It's going to ruin my week. Like I would totally spiral. And that obviously made the panic a lot worse. And so reminding myself, this is temporary. You might feel like this for the next 15 minutes. It's not going to last as long as you think it is. And so that always helped me kind of just be like, okay, all right. You know, like you can do this for 15 minutes. It's not going to last forever. It will go away. And then there's so many other techniques. I mean, I take CBD a lot. Um, You can suck on like a lozenge or vitamin C or D to help. You can engage your five senses of sight, sound, taste, touch, smell to help bring yourself into the present moment. I would take a shower, um, just like anything you can do to kind of distract yourself. Or if you're more advanced and more bold, you can try to meditate with it and sit with it. And there are meditations out there specifically for panic attacks, specifically to help you ground down in the present moment and almost befriend those sensations instead of like imagining that you're driving a car and all of a sudden they're in the driver's seat and they've locked you in the trunk. It's like, no, they're they're in the passenger seat. And they're kind of an annoying co-pilot and you really wish they weren't there, but you're still in the driver's seat. Like you're okay. And so some of those exercises were really helpful for me. And I still think about them all the time whenever I get those feelings. So many great examples. Thank you for sharing that. I love how you brought us when I brought up your childhood to this experience at the startup, which lands us perfectly, I hope, to the point where you started Liberate, which was when COVID happened, right? So can you tell me about that transition? So what were you doing before then? And then during and maybe after you realized, I need to start this company? I would love to hear that. I definitely felt inspired to start Liberate during that initial experience at work. And I didn't I didn't have a fully formed, you know, ethos or anything. I just started to explore mindfulness practices. I was using meditation app. I was Googling journaling prompts at the office. I was going to yoga class late at night and started to feel much more calm and capable and confident. I felt like less knocked off my feet when something bad would happen at work or when I'd get a passive aggressive text, you know? And so I just felt much more stable and wanted to help the other people in my life that I knew were struggling do the same. But what I noticed was that I'm pretty woo-woo. I'm pretty into all these mindfulness practices. I'll go to a sound bath any day. But a lot of my friends weren't down and they, you know, didn't necessarily have interest in going to a 60-minute yoga class or a 20-minute meditation app or whatever it may be. And so they were just missing out on the benefits that those practices have to offer because you know, they didn't find the the ways that they were currently presented accessible or approachable. And this was, you know, six years ago. So there really wasn't a ton out there for mindfulness that was like calm and headspace. That was when I thought of the physical fitness space and the fact that I could walk into a soul cycle class and I got high five by 40 people. I'm so empowered to be there. You know, I'm Instagramming it. It's like this wonderful, empowering community without any stigma. And there was nothing like that out there for mental well-being, the options were pretty limited, like using meditation app alone or going to therapy alone. And so my goal was really to create a community that allowed mental well-being practices like journaling and meditation to be more accessible and approachable to the masses. And so that eventually over time, probably over two years, turned into what a version at least of what Liberate is now, which is a mental fitness platform where we have 
wellness classes, we have team building programs, and we have well-being tools like journals that are all designed to help you strengthen mental muscles, which at Liberate, we focus on presence, courage, gratitude, confidence, and resilience and proactively building these muscles the same way that you would proactively, you know, go to the gym and lift dumbbells to strengthen your biceps and triceps, not because anything's wrong or you're trying to fix anything, but because you like to feel strong and healthy and fit and take care of yourself. And so we want to kind of treat our minds the same way that we've treated our bodies for so long. So that was in 2020 that we launched. So it's been about three years now. Something that's been on my mind is how personal or vulnerable that kind of wellness can be. And you you already brought it up. You said a lot of people aren't down for it or there's like an idea about it that they don't like or whatever. So you're making it more accessible, which is great. And so I know part of it is probably habit, right? If you're not used to meditating or journaling or accessing that part of you, it's probably a obstacle to start or I don't know what the, the phrase is, but it's basically like difficult to start. The information you're hearing is what I wrote for our daily email, The Good Space Daily. So if you're already signed up, you'll have these tips and writing in your inbox. And if you're not already signed up and you're listening to this after the fact of us dripping them out live, we'll make it so that when you sign up, you can specifically ask for these emails and get them dripped out to you when you sign up. And that's the same with all the other topics and themes that we'll be covering for feeling your best. So. If you want to get these short daily reminders to access your authentic self in all areas of life and get resources, chances to win things, all of the good stuff, then make sure to sign up now. The link is in the show notes or you can go to findyourgoodspace.com. My question is, and I actually wanted your thoughts on this, is when you listen to music, for example. I feel like that touches a part of us as well that mindfulness can too. You know, there are words, melodies, instrumentation that crack open this deep part of us and people aren't afraid to sing out and dance at concerts or play music really loud or use it while they work or do all these things. So why do you think people aren't comfortable creating that kind of community and environment for themselves that, you know, lifts up their mental and emotional and spiritual wellness? It's a great question. It's pretty scary for a lot of people, which I've come to learn. And of course, you know, it was for me in the beginning too. I had someone once like five years ago say, is it, is meditation kind of like going to the gym? Like I've heard you don't feel anything the first time or like you don't feel different after doing it once. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's correct. You know, you have to put in time, like you said, and build a habit to really be able to reap the results. So I think part of it is that it's not as, or people don't think it's as rewarding as other ways that they could spend their time. You know, if I go to the gym 10 days, maybe not 10 days, if I go to the gym for a month, maybe I look stronger or maybe I feel tighter or whatever it is. And if you go to the mental gym, if you you know sit on a cushion or if you journal, you don't necessarily have this outward, you know, showcase of how strong you are, how fit you are, something to show off, which is part of the reward that a lot of people get for physical fitness. So, you know, if it feels like less of a reward, why would they do it? I feel like it's like a you know, superpower, like a hidden superpower that you're this strong and nobody knows, you know, and it kind of like glows outward. So I think that's part of why people don't feel 
like there's anything in it for them. At least if you go to a concert and you're dancing, like you look really fun. I don't look like anything. I look like chill, you know, maybe if anything. So there's like less of that external reward for it. And then I think the other thing is that, especially in, you know, present day, we don't really spend a ton of time with ourselves and our thoughts. I have a friend who brushes her teeth while she watches a Netflix show or like that, you know, while she's curling her hair, she's listening to a podcast and that's not abnormal. That's what a lot of people do. The idea of like being alone with your thoughts is really daunting. And I think that that's probably just because we don't do it enough. I actually just wrote a newsletter that the subject line is distance makes the heart grow distant because the less you do something, the less you think about its opportunity to bring you joy or to bring you expansion or to bring you any type of positive sensation because you're so disconnected from it. But if you actually start doing these practices and you realize how much joy they bring you, you're that much more inclined to stick with it. So kind of a long-winded answer, but I think it's mostly because we kind of fear what we don't know. And that's like a transition, you know, like we were talking about earlier to become a mindfulness person, that sounds like a whole daunting experience. And so people just maybe avoid it because it might be uncomfortable or it might be too new. That was an incredible response. I love your thoughts on that. Thank you for sharing it. And it's interesting because on your site, it says that 80% of employees feel stressed, anxious, or lonely every single day. And it's like, that's not good, people. <laughs> like, this is not how work environments should be. I know should is a guilt word, but really, I, I, and I, and I felt that feeling. You felt that feeling. And so I know Liberate, you have a lot of great programs for teams and companies. And, and I do want to talk about the individual as well, but I know that you've helped a lot of work cultures. And so I also am curious though, how do we get leaders at major corporations to care or prioritize well-being for the employees? Because really it has to start from them, right? To create or to be an example for the culture we want to see. And so I was curious, does the actual change where someone could have boundaries with work or someone could come home in time to be with their child, or they could have enough vacation time to feel rested, will that only happen if the employees stand firm in their boundaries and demand it? Or is there a way, another way that it could work where that's the norm? Like we've changed the norm now. We work with a lot of teams and usually the leader has to be bought in in order for any deal to go through because HR can love it. The employees can be demanding it and craving it. But if the CEO doesn't believe in the importance of mental health or the necessity to take time out of the workday for a 30-minute mindfulness session once a month, then it won't happen because it you know, needs to be someone at the table who can sign the deal. And so we struggle with that because I you know, talk to these amazing teams who really want it to happen and they, they have a hard time getting that leadership buy-in. So for us, a big thing is like having stats and having the ability to show results and show, you know, you think this is a waste of time. Well, you know, employees without meaningful connections at work are five times more likely to be disengaged and 2.5 times more likely to quit. Do you want your people to quit? Like showing there's tons of studies out there that help us show that. And then with our own programming as well, we measure like employee connection to coworkers. We measure employee state of well-being at work. And we measure that like throughout the duration of a program so that you can see liberates impact on those metrics. And so 
you know, if we're able to lift those metrics and we have the metrics about how well-being affects employees and how connection affects employees, you can make that deduction that there's a meaningful ROI, but it is really hard. And so that's part of the reason why we offer programs both for teams and for individuals, because if you're not able to get your company on board, like we still want to be able to support you at an individual level if that's something that you're interested in. So it's very tricky. And I think that boundaries are best set up front, which is hard for anyone who's been in a job for four years. But I take so much responsibility for the fact that I had no boundaries in my first job and I was bulldozed because I totally let them. I responded to emails at 10 a.m. on a Sunday. You know, I was on call at 11 p.m. on a Thursday. I did that. They did not tell me you have to respond to this email right now. I just did it. And so they knew that I was online at that time. And so setting your boundaries up front and being really clear, like in a one-on-one meeting with a manager, hey, just so you know, like I I log off at 6 p.m. every night and I don't check my computer until 8 a.m. the next morning or whatever it is. That might not work for every company culture, but at least when you're clear about your boundaries, then you're more likely to find a company culture that that does work for. And so then you're working at the right place. Like some companies are going to require you to work longer. That's That's okay. That's their prerogative. There are some people who are going to be willing to do that. If you're not one of those people, that's fine. But find a company that aligns with that is my point of view, because that alignment and like transparent communication of expectations is what, you know, what makes the world go round or what makes you burn up in flames. So making sure that both parties are on the same page is really important. Yes. Such a great point is we ultimately have to start by setting those boundaries. And it can be nerve wracking because I know a lot of people either want a job really badly, like some people, they need the work or whatever. And so I definitely sympathize and empathize with those people because I was one of those as well, where I felt like this is my chance. I need to get into this. So I'm going to just suck it up and give up my boundaries and give up what I know is good for me. And then ultimately it just created so much resentment and burnout and all of these things. And so I always challenge people who listen to the podcast and read our emails to question what the world is telling us to value and then what you actually value. And let's start changing what we value first. Because I I don't know if I'm explaining this correctly, but I used to value money, success, all of these things above happiness, peace, my own wellness. And I remember sitting and being like, why, why do I value these things? And I realized it's because this is what the world sells me. They sell me that I am irrelevant if I'm not striving for money, if I'm not striving for success, if I'm not working 60 hours a week and I'm on call all the time, then I'm no longer relevant or valuable. And it's also flipping that narrative and thinking, well, wait a second. No, that's not actually true. I value X, Y, and Z. And if that's not what the world values, that's okay too. And and I love that you give permission that if your boundaries don't fit with a certain culture, that is okay. And you will find something that will. And I think it's putting that power back within ourselves to choose and to have the choice of what we want to do. We're not victims or powerless to what's around us, if that makes sense. I want to know one, how an individual like me or someone listening can 
reap the benefits of whatever Liberate teaches. And then talking about the four components. I don't know if that's part of it or if it's part of everything, but you talk about movement, journaling, connection, and meditation. So all of those things. And I want to know why those four and does the order matter, all of that stuff. And I can repeat these later, just kind of throwing that up. So the Liberate method is what we were founded on. That is you know, part of any, whether you're an individual or a company or a team working with Liberate, you're experiencing the Liberate method. It's where we take proven practices and distill them down so that you're spending enough time with the practice to reap the benefit and then moving on to keep people engaged. So we start with intention setting as a way to set clear goals and really get grounded for the class. And then we move into mindful movement, which is either light guided breath work or gentle seated stretching that you can do from your desk. So it's really accessible. Then we move into journaling, which is focused on, you know, whatever the class theme is, whether it's a resilience workshop, gratitude, confidence, you name it. We'll dive deep into that with guided prompts. And then we hold space for conversation, which is an opportunity for connection. So you never push anybody, but whoever's in the Zoom room or whoever's in the live class, sharing what you wrote down, sharing what you're grateful for, whatever it may be. And then we ground the practice with meditation to let all of that good work we've done take time to sink into the mind and body. And part of what's really powerful about this approach is that it can be really hard to go from moving a million miles a minute in life to complete stillness for meditation, which is often why people don't do it. (laughs) And so with Liberate, we start with movement. We slow down with journaling. We open up with conversation. By the time you get to that meditation, participants feel much more teed up for success within that stillness because we really eased our way into it. And it's similar to like a Shavasana at the end of the yoga class. You're basking in that stillness because you've you've just gently worked your way there together. And so we find that oftentimes when we would send surveys of what was your favorite part of class, people love the meditation, even if you ask them on the street and they said they would hate meditation and they don't do it. But it feels so good to like let it all kind of sink in before you transition into the rest of your day. So whether you're doing a class with us or a program with us, that method is always guiding our curriculum. And then for the journals, of course, they're focused on journaling, but we do integrate intention setting. We have like different educational pieces around how you can incorporate more mindful movement into your day and things like that. And the the flow is really intentional. So of course you could you could do them in any order that you'd like, but the goal is really to like open you up and ground you down throughout the class. And we like to find kind of levity and depth. So during the journaling, like things might be challenging. It's a workout for a reason. But by the end, you're still leaving the class feeling like this weight has been lifted off your shoulders and it's this breath of fresh air because we're not just like giving you a heavy prompt and then saying, see ya, good luck. Like we're really guiding you through the whole thing to make sure that you feel good at the end. So is this something where I can get on an app or your website and I can sign up for a class that's live at a certain time, just like I would a yoga studio or how does that work? We have monthly community classes that are actually free. So anyone can join. They're hosted over Zoom and led by one of our amazing class leaders. And then you can also, as an individual, use the app. It's Liberate Studio on the App Store. We have breathwork, journaling, meditations, hypnosis, EFT tapping, all different types of practices on there. And then you can also buy digital or physical journals too. So there's a few different options for you if you're an individual. 
That's great. And I will make sure to share this in the show notes and our email so that anyone listening, you will be able to find it and start using those tools. I think that's incredible. I'm going to make sure I check it out as well. My last question then, well, second to last question is what are you working on in the next year or so for Liberate? Like, Where is it heading? What are your goals? Great question. Also, always a great question. So right now we do this really fun. It's called the entrepreneurial... Shoot, I don't remember. Entrepreneurial something. And basically every quarter you set your rocks. So you have big rocks, little rocks, sand, and water. And whatever your big rocks are or what you're focusing on primarily, little rocks, second priority, sand and water, not as important. And so that's been really helpful for us because as a startup, you know, there's so many different priorities to focus on. It can get a little distracting if all these different messages are coming in the inbox and you want to respond to all of them. You want to do everything. And so when we just set our big rocks, basically, if it's an email that's not a big rock, I give it to somebody else. I'm not even going to touch it. I'm not going to do it, even if I really want to, because it's not good enough use of my time. So right now our rocks are, we have the Amazon launch, which we're really focused on. So we're getting our journals on Amazon so that we can reach more people. And then we have a second journal launching. That's a six month journal. And so that has the affirmations, intention setting and prompts the same way our 90 day journal does, but it also has education on different mindfulness practices. It has different mental muscle check-ins. So you get to rank your strength over time. And then we also have letters from me, which are something that we've always sent over email and are basically like my diary entries, which people seem to really enjoy the kind of human aspect behind the brand. So that's something that we're really focused on this quarter and kind of with that throughout the end of the year. And then we're also doing a lot of conferences because now that COVID has come and gone, there's so many in-person opportunities to connect with community and, and give people the resources to add to their toolkit. And so we're doing like real estate conferences, media conferences. They'll have us out to lead different liberate sessions for the attendees, which has been a really fun way to connect in person. So a lot of the same and then piling on some new some new initiatives on top. So many good things going on. And will that all be posted on your website and Instagram if people are interested and want to get involved in either of those? Instagram is definitely great. You can go to our website, which is liberatestudio.com. And then you can also like add your email to our email list there, which we send out pretty regular, but not obnoxiously regular email updates so that you can stay in the loop as well. That's great. And just out of curiosity... How do you make sure that since you're a startup, that your culture encourages well-being and mindfulness? And because I can imagine with everything going on, there's always going to be moments where it's like you have to push and it's going to take a lot more effort and energy. How have you managed to incorporate that in your culture? It is something that I'm always working on and evolving and checking in on because like you said, it would be you know, wildly ironic if we had a horrible company culture and, you know, we care all about mental health and everyone's burnt out. So we have a lot of different ways to connect. First and foremost, I am very transparent about my own mental health and my own well-being, and I encourage everyone to do the same. So we have weekly check-ins. And for a while, I was just asking everyone else to kind of tell me how they were doing. And we play like a light game. So you're either red, yellow, or um, green, green is good, red is bad, etc. And only they were telling me their lights, and I wasn't sharing my lights. 
And so then every week, everybody's green. And I'm like, there's no way everybody's green. You know, we've all got stuff going on in our personal lives. So as soon as I started doing it and I would start and I would say, you know, I'm yellow because I have a rash and I'm really overwhelmed. I can't figure out Amazon, you know? And as soon as I started doing that, then they would be like, yeah, I'm yellow too. And so that opened up this new level of conversation of acknowledging what is going on in someone's life. So we do a light for personal and a light for professional, which is also a huge part of Liberate is acknowledging that we're humans. And I want to know that you went to a surf lesson, or I want to know that, you know, you failed this exam that you were prepping for, whatever it is. We want to be able to connect on that human level as well. And so acknowledging that side of them is really important. We have team hangouts. We go to like wellness classes together for the local team in LA. Um, unlimited PTO, you know, going to like, I have employees that are going to wellness retreats once a quarter and I've never been. <laughs> and I think that it's great, you know, that, that we have a culture that like inspires employees to lean more into wellness because that, you know, that should be the ultimate end goal of you work in this space and it makes you want to be in it more as opposed to it makes you, you need to like take a break from it. So yeah, if you have any ideas, though, I'm all yours. <laughs> no, I think you're doing an incredible job. And I bet that productivity is better with people feeling like they can take time when they need it. They can kind of flow with life and feel acknowledged for their whole self and not just their work self, which I think is amazing. And tell me if I'm wrong. Like, I feel like productivity would be great, right? I think that we're pretty productive. Yeah, I mean, it's a small but mighty team. And it's to your point, like really flexible in terms of when people need to work or when people have a different priority. But the expectation is whatever's on the board to get done this week is getting done. And if it's not, there's a proactive conversation about it. And, you know, we're super transparent with our comms, but we've got a really passionate team, which I think also helps with productivity. That's great. Oh, wonderful. Well, Liv, thank you for taking the time out of your busy, busy day to chat with us and share everything that you have learned and that you're building. And I can't wait for people to, more people to know about Liberate. Thank you so much for having me. It's always so fun to chat with you. I know we like couldn't stop talking before this to even record it. So I'm happy that we got, we got a great conversation in and hopefully some of my, some of my feelings can be helpful to somebody else out there. Absolutely. All right, we'll, we'll chat soon. If you like what you're hearing so far and feel inspired or changed or just motivated after hearing this message, please consider joining our membership. We work so hard to dissect information and make it simple and digestible for you so you can go out in the world and be a light, connect to your authentic self. And we really want to continue being that landing place for you. So if you're considering even one message or brand to support, we hope that you'll consider ours. And if you want a link for that, it is in the show notes. Now it's time for an affirmation. I connect to my inner voice every day in ways that are comforting and inspiring.
If you found today's tips inspiring or thought-provoking, share it right now on social media and make sure to tag me at Francesca A. Phillips or at Find Your Good Space and also weigh in in the comment section at findyourgoodspace.com. You can find links in the show notes. And if you have a spiritual or mindfulness problem that you want me to unpack on an upcoming The Good Space episode or an awesome manifesting story you want to share, give my podcast phone line a ring right now at 917-719-0867. Also, don't forget to download my free morning routine guide. It's what helped me reduce my anxiety, increase productivity, and so much more. The link to everything I mentioned is in the show notes. See you soon.